Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Joining us now, comedian Chelsea Peretti, NBA All-Star Roy Hibbert. Roy is our nation's most treasured actor. He's got chops, he's got talent, and he also has three tickets to Lakers. <laughs> With your host, Elliot Anderson, stops it now behind his head. Seku Smith, Lang Whitaker, and Rick Fox. Our next guest should have been our first guest, Isaiah Thomas. How do you think you would play in today's NBA with the rules the way they are? Be honest. Uh, average 40. <laughs> we will win a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's our main man, Roderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Hey, too, can I say this first? <laughs> you know you when can. When I was covering the Lakers, when Rick Fox played, I had hair. They wore me out. Now it's time for the tip-off. 22-point night for West as he goes to work and draws the foul. And now Hibbert and Lee go after each other. Roy Hibbert, oh, Roy Hibbert is, is really causing himself a problem. Now this is getting out of hand because it's going into the stands. This is really out of hand over here. Oh, no. Let's clean this up, fellas. We'll clean this up. Get this, get this back on the floor. Roy Hibbert got mad about what happened with him and Lee, but they've got to clean this up. <laughs> oh no. Oh no, fellas. Another another uh altercation on the involving the Indiana Pacers. I heard it called a brawl last night. I highly object to that guy. Seku Smith from NBA.com's Hangtime blog, Lang Whitaker in New York, Rick Fox in LA. Welcome to the Hangtime Podcast. Fellas, what constitutes a real fight in the NBA? do, do shoulder shrugs count, Rick? Man, that was not a, that was not a brawl, let alone a fight. I mean, especially coming from someone that if, if there's not a tunnel involved, a, a good tunnel run and a good attempt at some slap boxing, of a, yeah, recreation of a game of death, flying drop kick, it doesn't meet my mark. Right, it's a, it's a right. That fight was, or if you want to call it a fight, that, that fight that fight last night was as violent on the radio that we just heard as it was in real life. <laughs> <laughs> our intro, our intro, homie Roy Hibbert. I didn't know he had. I didn't know he had that in him. Now he was. He looked Look, like. He looked like he was going to put shoulders on somebody. Listening to the hang hang time podcast is like being on performance enhancing drugs. <laughs> so you you will have moments and bouts of rage if you listen too much. <laughs> he didn't. I mean, the only thing that I really was upset about is the way he tossed Steph Curry aside, like. Which he, time? Uh, he just he ragdolled him like two times, just <laughs> flicked him look, off. Look, look, yeah, all the light skin in me got upset about that. <laughs> okay, I had to. I almost jumped through the screen on that one because man, he got tossed like like someone like someone just he was just like get off of me and and Curry went flying. Yeah, I mean it was I, embarrassing. Not once, twice. Yeah, the, I thought the the interesting thing to me was that obviously no one wanted to throw a punch. 
right? Uh, yes, that, that was definitely not going to happen. You could see that nobody wanted to throw a punt. So there was a lot of chest bumping and shoulder bumping and yeah, <laughs> swing, I, swinging people out of the way. But this is one of the first times I've seen like an altercation where every person in there had the same, okay, hold me back. Somebody hold me back. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this, guys. If you think like that tape got out to like aliens in space somewhere, you think they'd be afraid to come and invade us? <laughs> Who are these tall men that look make crazy faces and shoulder bump each other? I mean, it just... let's go get their country. Yeah, I mean, I I just felt like guys know what they lose, you yeah, know, financially look, when the they throw punches. Yeah, it's like I thought that was a great deterrent video for anybody. You know, they ought to show that at the rookie symposium. If you want to get into it. Don't throw punches. Do. Just stand there and do the shoulder lean for about five minutes, and everybody, you know. <laughs> you think anybody gets suspended? <laughs> I don't know. For what? I mean, I mean they, no one threw a punch. What are you going like, to do? Yeah. Well, I ask only because I got two guys in my fantasy league, both Curry and Lee, who are kind of <laughs> the center of that. <laughs> I need to know whether to sit them tonight. I actually uh, – I went – I was at the NBA office yesterday to tape uh, – the jump for NBA TV, and I, I got on the elevator with Stu Jackson. <laughs> Did he find you? <laughs> I wish I was on there today. I could ask him about it. You find? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, you remember when you were a kid, and you like, you know, you in the neighborhood, and two dudes get into a baddest one, touch my shoulder first. That's what kind of fight they had yesterday. Whoa. Like, you know, where you yeah. keep bumping each other. Like, I bet you won't. I bet you won't. I bet you won't. I bet you won't. It was nobody was gonna fight. They're talking about it spilled into the stands and. Uh, that ain't a brawl, people. But that might that might bring the attention of of the commissioner, though, from the standpoint that yeah. it, it, it did kind of go into a little bit of the stands. Which, if you're in the front row there, that's you know people pay a lot of money. Yeah, and, you pay and, a lot of money to get sweat thrown on you and get a you know get a dude yeah. to jump over your seat and knock your beer down. I mean, i've I've been at a I've been at the site at Ground Zero of a brawl where it spills into the stands. That yeah. wasn't it last night okay okay and that wasn't it well you know everything is always going to compare to indiana detroit in your eyes because you were yeah i mean i, I guess i'm just hypersensitive yeah. when they say somebody got into it but even before that i had sean bradley smash my computer one time in indiana um we was <laughs> seven 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 sean bradley yes fell over the scores table right on top of the laptop it was actually it was mark monteith's computer he was trying my, my partner who i used to work with at the indiana star Mark was trying to, like, take his screen and close it because he saw Bradley coming towards us and didn't get in time. Hey, Greg. Uh, Smash producer Greg, producer Greg Wagon, can we find the video of that? <laughs> yeah, seriously. I, 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 am, I see Sean Bradley maybe checking into the game. <laughs> we talk about fights. There's, but video, there's video of me and Sean Bradley in a fight. Actually. No. No. Yes, there is. Who? Sean, I, I, Did you drop him? Sean Bradley and I went at it, and I almost threw a blow. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, because he found me wrong, and I jumped up and was at his. He was on the ground, and I was over the top of him. Oh no! Ready to, yeah, ready to let go. About to put them paws on Sean and Bradley. That's not cool. I man. put a paw on him. I was about to put a fist next, <laughs> but I didn't. It didn't. Uh, it didn't happen. I, I restrained myself. He was in Dallas, so if we want film too, we can look for that you one. You got a lot, Rick. If we, if we want to be fair now, you got a lot of thug life on your uh, resume. Yeah, I'm a little surprised. You know, I, I mean, you are supposed to be a lover, not a fighter. You out here trying to scrap all the time. Yeah, no, I, I grew up in the Bahamas, man. <laughs> we, 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 at the end of the day, we're both we're, we're just pirates, man. We come, I got pirate in my blood, man. I think Rick was. Uh, I think Rick's like trying to compensate for being so good looking. Yeah. <laughs> 
trying to be for trying to be that boy beautiful, huh? He's trying he's to be pretty man. Cats will try you, man, when you when you got a little, you know, <laughs> baby looking face in, in, yeah, in the game when I was young, I, man. I wouldn't I wouldn't know about that, but yeah. um, <laughs> don't worry about that. He'll have to Seku, take your word for it. <laughs> Seku and I've never had that. Yes, experience. we'll have to live vicariously through you because that ain't happening. <laughs> no, I mean I just I, I don't understand. I think there's such the, there's such an overreaction now too. Whenever NBA players, whenever they just square off and like act like they want to fight, people flip out and go crazy. The NBA sees they see less scraps than basically any other professional sport. Yeah, I mean they fought yeah. in the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, you know what I mean. They got to fighting in the Super Bowl. Nobody even got a flag thrown on them. I think it could be worse. I think it. I mean, it used to be. If you think about fighting that used to go down. Yeah. It could be. I mean, look in the nineties, and I mean, we were everyone was fighting, and yeah, I mean, so I think it's it's they've done a good job of curtailing any unfortunate, you know, escalation of of, of confrontation for a sport that's pretty pretty physical. Our yeah, sport right. is pretty physical right. and intense, and so I think we we the league's done a good job. I know we yeah, as players when I was in the league, I was like, man, you can't even touch anybody now. <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, you don't you know who needs to be. Losing, you know, paychecks and and getting punched in the face and say so you don't need that in the game, man. Yeah, I mean, I wrote, I mean, I'll never forget Al Harrington got into a fight one time with George Lynch. And, uh, uh, be and, careful! No, works, guys. no, I'm serious. This was a, this was an interesting one though, and it, it was in Indiana. They, the Hornets and the Pacers were playing, and something happened with George Lynch. We looked over towards the bench, ball went out of bounds, and George Lynch he just reached out and. Choked like put, choked Al Harrington. It's like made him spit the gum out of his mouth. Yeah, I choked. So, I, I choked somebody once. Yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> must be, I, I choked Eddie Jones. Must be a Carolina thing. Yeah, um, must, I choked him. So I mean, they got this fighting or whatever, and Jamal McGlure ruined the whole thing. And 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 I'll never forget it. He's we're standing there, we're sitting there. The players go tumbling over the bench, like you know, in the seats between the bench and the scores table. Those two like empty seats. They go tumbling over those. Bunch of people trying to get him off each other. McGlore, for some reason, he's on the floor. He looks at us. And somebody who's sitting, like the radio guy was sitting there going, don't, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. He jumps on top of the scores table, looks (laughs) at the crowd down there, and just dives on the pile. (laughs) He 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 could have seriously injured somebody. He didn't have him. But, I mean, they just made a mess of this thing, and it was all for whatever. I don't know what was said or what was done. So I'm writing the story after the game, whatever, right, about, you know, uh-huh. this fight and what's that and the other. The next day, Al Harrington gets suspended. He lost 97000 He lost a game check or whatever. Yeah, see. For, for, for getting the gum choked out of his mouth. Yeah. I was like, are you serious? I wouldn't fight anybody either. Nope. If I had to, you know, if I'm giving up that kind of money, I'm going to, I'm talking about, I got a two-piece you like Chris Childs did Kobe. I got to get, I got to connect. You know what I'm saying? I got to make some – I got to get me a Roberto Duran lick on you now. I got to get a hands of stone punch. You remember yeah. that, man? You think they'll ever show that video like at Kobe's <laughs> Kobe's uh, Hall at of Fame? his Hall of Fame induction? Yeah. yeah. Have Chris Child <laughs> sitting in the crowd say something else. <laughs> say is, something else. See what that – Where is Chris Child? Well, we are – listen, this show has gone off the rails early today. Yes, We apologize has. to everybody that's going to be upset with us about talking about you getting knocked <laughs> out and choked and all that. I'm sorry, Al. You know, apologize to Kobe. Speaking of Kobe, guys, amnesty that, baby. How, how you like them apples? You, <laughs> last week, Ma- Mavericks owner Mark Cuban, you know, hypothetically speaking about 
you know, the, the new CBA and how that's going to impact teams and the fact that, you know, the Lakers would have to consider amnestying Kobe to make the, you know, to get the books right. He was talking strictly, hypoth- strictly hypothetical, Lane. He was not saying the Lakers need to amnesty Kobe. So, of course, Kobe comes into his house and uh, <laughs> balls out on the Mavericks, uses and abuses them, and then afterwards he, you know, politely tweets, amnesty that. Do you think Kobe went overboard, or was that an appropriate Kobe gesture man, after that? The man finds motivation wherever he can, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, what's funny was I decided that game was kind of early on Sunday. It was like a, yeah, it was uh, a matinee. One, yeah, so yeah. I decided, you know what? I'm done with the Lakers, man. We talk about them <laughs> on the show every week. Yeah. We, they're not going to win the title this year. It's just a mess. Like I don't, I don't need to watch this. I actually turned on the Daytona 500, and I looked at Twitter, and they're like, "Here goes Kobe." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "I can't." Once you think you're out, they pull you back. Pull you in, in. So, right back so in. I ended up watching the game, and I was like, "Man, that dude finds motivation." You know, well, I mean, well, Cuban might have had a point though, because Kobe went for 40 the night before, and then 38, so he's on a decline. <laughs> So, <laughs> Might be time to amnesty. I mean, <laughs> he only scored thirty-eight. He gets thirty-six. All, in all, I think from a business perspective, I think as an owner, or, or in terms of you know adding adding up your penalty of luxury tax payment, you know next year is going to when they signed away, which I'm sure they they showed their hand already in that respect. Yes, and it's going to be an expensive luxury tax commitment unless they basically give away Paul Gasol for nothing. Yeah. Um, they're still going to be paying a hefty amount of money, so. Uh, I, I understood his point, but Mark Cuban seems to just have a lot of comments about the Lakers in general. I mean, he went at Derek Fisher today right. uh, also. And, and so, I, you know, he has nothing better to do. The team is not uh, <laughs> going to be a playoff team. And you know, he's trying to put some energy around the matchup, I guess. He was actually – he was on Howard Stern last week. And um, it was kind of interesting because Howard was asking about basketball – and Howard Stern's not really a sports fan, so he was asking about how the salary cap works. And it was interesting to hear Mark Cuban explain it to someone who doesn't follow the NBA um, and doesn't really understand how the cap works. And he said, look, you know, our team this year, we really had to to get worse and pay less money this year so that we can pay more in the right. next season and the season after that. Um, and explain why the Mavericks are doing what they're doing right now. Um, but as, as far as as far as owners go and business goes like i i think cuban had a pretty good point yeah uh, no i mean if you if you don't have a five billion dollar tv deal or whatever yeah. you can spend that money yeah you, someone's got to go right like just from a business perspective i agree too uh, i guess i just, I just, I just don't know kobe yeah I, I would say i would not agitate kobe being bryant if at all possible if he's getting ready to play my team uh you know Let's just not agitate the man. He's he's already having a rough season. His team is already struggling. Well, I he think Mark, Mark probably bought into Kobe being the assist playmaker guy. He thought he was going to be facilitator Kobe, and he said, nah, I'm going to be Mamba today. We had a Mamba strike. Um, yeah, I mean, I, listen, I love when Kobe gets cranked up like that. Uh, you know, that's that's the Kobe I love to see. I know, I know the other, the facilitator Kobe plays the right way, but I like it when evil Kobe comes out. The little the little hook jaw thing he does, you know, where yeah, he's like, every right. shot is a dagger right at you because you said I couldn't, you know what I mean? Like, that's the Kobe that I know a lot of fans love to see. They love to watch him play. So, um, thanks, Mark Cuban, for uh, for firing him up. And you know what? 
just so we clear, I'm just so we clear. I'm not going to turn. We're not talking Lakers now. So anyway, on to other headlines. You mentioned Derek Fisher signing with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Is that? I mean, and we talked to Scott Brooks on the beat, and he just said he thought he was one of the greatest winners, you know, that he had ever been around, and that they needed his presence and that kind of, you know, personality and temperament around yeah. this team in in the locker room and on the floor. Do you guys think that's a over the top move for for the Thunder at all, or is this just some security for having to trade away Eric Maynard the way they did? Rick's actually, Rick's spent more time with Fish than any of us have, so I'm actually yeah. curious to hear what you think. Yeah, I, look, I, I like, I think at this point in Derek's career still, I think the what they're asking him to probably come in and be is exactly what he's always given and can probably actually still give, uh, regardless of what he has left in the tank uh, on the floor. Right. He, his greatest strength has always been that that centering uh, presence and and voice of uh, of truth when it comes to a, a team uh, staying on course and, and collective uh, focus of a group of men being on that that championship driven uh, basketball uh, level and so you know he, you know he also gives a level of uh, you know I've been there done that I can I can if you got a question I can answer it for you I can point you in the right direction I can tell you if we're staring in the wrong place and also probably calm a lot of guys nerves when things get ruffled and, rat- and rattled during the playoff uh, stretch coming up for them so I don't suspect that they're going to be putting him on the floor and expecting him to play 30 minutes right yeah um, but you know six minutes here and there if he if need be to spell like at the end of uh, quarters and the end of uh, halves he'll he'll manage those those few minutes well and uh, those sometimes are the key points in, in games that can turn a game is if you get in and out of a quarter without, you know, with good shots, not turning over the ball, making sure that, you know, you get possessions and actually defensively get stops. So that's that's what I would ask of him if I was that organization and, and especially I'm sure what uh, Coach Brooks is looking at. Right. Lang, you feel like uh, I was... Derek Fisher is the, the, the final piece for them? He wasn't last year, right? Um, no, no. I mean, I, I thought it was the interesting thing to me was when they traded Maynard at yeah. the deadline. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, because Maynard got hurt last year, and, and he had been a pretty big part of what they were doing. And then Reggie Jackson kind of became that, that backup guy, and then they brought in Fisher. And right. So so they're basically going with what they had last year. And, and you know, what's not to say that they're not – that those – that Reggie Jackson's not a better player than he was, that Fisher won't have a better understanding of the system than he did last year. But I don't think that that's a move that um, pushes you past Miami. Right. Do you think they did it to prevent him from going somewhere else? No. Uh, Derek is that kind of – Yeah, I don't think so. right now. Yeah. Um, and really, where else would he go that would – I mean, maybe Miami, but where else would he go that he would make that big of a impact? Um, Miami. Yeah, I don't think they really they have that open spot. Yeah, uh, maybe. The, well, I would. The Clippers already have Bledsoe. Um, right. You know, the Knicks have Kid, so I don't really know where else he would go. But maybe Miami. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I you know, I don't know. I'm 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 undecided on what I think this does for the the Thunder. I I thought they needed to do something different if they were going to do it. I didn't think they needed to bring bring back Fisher so much I thought maybe they would do something in their front court but that didn't that, that ultimately that didn't happen um 
One other bit of news, guys, we need to get to before we finish up here. Coach K will no longer be the coach of the U.S. senior national team. No more Team USA work for Mike Krzyzewski, at least not as the head coach of the senior national team. The, the names being tossed around as potential replacements. Greg Popovich, Doc Rivers. I've even heard John Calipari's name. Who who do you think fits as the face of that program, you know, from a coaching perspective, as they move into the world championships in 2014 and beyond? I, before we go there, Rick, you played for the Canadian national team, right? I, I did, yeah. Uh-huh. What, what is it like? playing for a national team uh, you know as opposed to playing for an NBA team cuz cuz you don't have that daily interaction right with the coach and no no you yeah. don't no you come together for a seri- period of you know weeks is it like an, like an all-star team sort of or yeah there's it's more of that than you i mean you really like you said you come together for maybe a month at most if you're fortunate yeah uh, have that kind of time depending on where guys are playing professionally some guys are overseas and in Europe and in the case of the NBA guys are here you know, training, going into the playoffs and maybe into the finals. So you have a little stretch of time. You come together to try and create chemistry. And if you haven't played together before throughout your youth, like some of the uh, Yugoslavian teams or, team, you know, Argentinian teams where those guys have grown up together, then you're really at a disadvantage because in, in Olympic play, the, the rules are different. The style of play is different. It's not like the NBA. You're required to understand those rules. But – you know, you got to have some chemistry. That's why you can see a Spanish team give right. the, the Olympic NBA players a run for their money because they, you know, they're the nuances of the game they're taking advantage of, of based on the way, you know, the, the amount of time they've logged together. Unfortunately, not every team can do that. Uh, so, you know, it's been impressive to see what Mike Dunleavy and the U.S. Olympic team has been able to do because they seem to create amongst what. what you wouldn't think normally would be possible, which all the egos and the money and how competitive those guys are against each other during the season, they create still this unity in representing their, their country in a short amount of time, create really fluid, excellent basketball. And, and so that, you know, not everyone can do that. And I think it's, it's a tough thing to pull off. One, one quick correction, Rick, you said Mike Dunleavy and you meant Mike Krzyzewski. No, maybe I didn't. I was going to say, that's the first time, first time that's ever happened. Um, <laughs> it's just hard for me to, to utter. No, I'm just kidding. I have a lot of admiration for what Coach Krzyzewski's done. I mean, he's done it at, in the college level, obviously, in the ACC for years. I've gone from trying to, you know, obviously beat his teams, you know, mercilessly to watching from afar and, and seeing how consistent he's been able to sustain that level of play with with young kids, especially when the game in college has changed so much. Yeah. Uh, he's been able to still rise above that. And then to go on and coach professional athletes who, you know, he's never coached in the pros, but to coach those guys, the greatest players in the game, and to actually, for my money, uh, seem to have raised their level of play and it t- probably taught them something about the game. Yeah. I, uh, I talked to him um, last summer when I was working on the dream team story for, for GQ, you know, he, he was the assistant coach on the dream team. Right. Um, and that was one of his first interactions with NBA players. And to hear him tell it, you know, he and PJ Carlissimo were brought in. They were, they had both coached in like some of the world university games and that kind of stuff for te- for USA basketball. And so when they got brought in, he said, you know, they just kind of, they, they weren't really sure what to make of it. And Chuck Daly was running the team and Chuck Daly told them, look, 
this isn't college. Um, we don't have to handle all the little things. Just kind of let them go. If a big thing comes up, we handle it. But don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Um, and he said he learned from that. And then when he took over as, as USA Basketball as the coach of the team, he said he tried to establish some sort of continuity because as, as Rick said, it's like an all-star team and you come and go. And so he, you know, I, I, he sent a lot of like emails to guys just during the season and it would check Ooh. in and, and just try to keep in touch with them and send them things to think about or thoughts and things like that. Um, and I think he really approached it as more than just a three, three month thing. You know, yeah. he approached right. it as a, almost like a full-time thing. Um, and I know there's been talk about hiring someone to be the full-time coach to do it year round. Um, I, I don't know if you could find somebody um, who's at that level, who the players will all respect, who would be willing to just coach, you know, every year couple round? of years. Yeah. That's hard year round. I don't want to yeah. start anything, but there is an out of work. Yes. Coach with a bunch of rings. Yeah. Who loves, wow. who's, who's been a master at, Wow. You know, managing teams with a lot of big personalities and big yeah. egos. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if he's. You know, I mean, I don't know if that's something he'd be interested in, but I'm just throwing it out there, Phil. If you, you know, right. I wonder oh, if you it... meant Phil. I thought you meant... <laughs> thought, I, thought I was talking about who. Yeah, uh, I think Greg Popovich would be awesome too. Yeah, okay. thought I was talking about Musselman, huh? And he's pops been an assistant <laughs> the past few years. Uh, <laughs> I, I wonder if um if 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 Phil did it. Could a team play the triangle offense without yeah. having? That was the have... first thing that came to my mind. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. Have... would, like, would he demand that they play the triangle? I wonder. I don't even know. You know, I don't think he would demand it, but I don't know if you'd have enough time to implement something like that. Yeah, right. yeah. I just, I mean, there's a lot of different ways they could go um, at USA Basketball because I, I happen to think, in watching Mike Shashevsky in London, guys, it took me about two weeks to figure out, you know, before they got there in the time leading up to London, I was trying to figure out what is it that he does that resonates with these cats? Like, what is it that makes him such a good fit with these players? Because they all loved him. I mean, (laughs) well, I mean, they all, but they all had a genuine, like, appreciation for him. It wasn't like a condescending thing where, you know, these NBA players are looking at him going, man, he coaches at Duke. You know, he's just here kind of. He told them all, he told them all his sons would get scholarships. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I thought I thought a lot of it was having coached, you know, a roster full of McDonald's All-Americans for, you know, every year for the past however many years. He just seems to get how you manage the best of the best. You know what I mean? He understands it. You got to be able to convince Andre Iguodala and Darren Williams and, you know, several other guys who are all-stars or, you know, franchise guys, wherever they are to come off the bench and play bit roles. Like, I, the way he got Iguodala and some of those guys to play off the bench was something – remember how hard it was a few years ago, 10, 12 years ago, to get some of these big-name NBA players to come off the bench and be happy about it? And not tell to, you, I, I mean, that was – And that was with George Carl coaching. That was with George Carl. Larry Brown struggled with that. I mean, there was – you know, there have been some struggles with that. Yeah. Let me tell you what he did with, with Iguodala. He said, hey, Andre, um, I'm going to put – LeBron James in the game. You, you okay with that? <laughs> I'm gonna start LeBron. You okay with that? But I mean, he he made it a point to make sure every guy was getting minutes that mattered. You know, like Kevin Love was. It was a big issue. 
yep. you know, at the start of the Olympics. Like, you know, how are they going to fit Kevin Love into this thing? Da, da, da. And Love was sensitive about his minutes and how he was going to fit in and where, you know, what position he played. He got everybody. I mean, it was weird. It was like, it was like this super crazy high-level AAU team, you know, where you go around and pluck the best players from all over and put them on one team and go, all right, we're going to go kick some butt this summer. And I was thinking, how's he? You know, how do you manage this year after year? Because remember, this last team was a blend. It was some of the guys yeah. from the previous gold medal team at the Olympics, and then Durant and the guys who helped win the World Championships. In the meantime, so he had to take these two groups and kind of mesh them together. You know, how do you? How does Carmelo go from being your A scorer? You know, in the last Olympics, or one, you know, one of the guys you leaned on for big scoring. How does he cede that spot to Durant? in some ways and come off the bench and you know I mean it's a lot of delicate ego you know work that has to be done in this thing and I thought Shashevsky and that staff which included you know Mike D'Antoni and you know Nate McMillan some familiar faces guys that you know some of these players know but with Shashevsky as the main guy in charge and I thought it was a pretty masterful job if you look at the way they handle it. You know another name that's been thrown around as a guy who might be the uh, next USA basketball guy is the guy who was part of that 72 Olympic team that, uh, that lost. <laughs> you Mr. mean, uh, you mean Mr. Collins? Yeah. Coach, Coach Collins, who, Coach uh, Doug Collins, who lost it on his team here. Take a yeah. listen to this, Take a listen to this action from Doug Collins, uh, after the Sixers latest loss. You know, I think there's a part of this group wondering, you know, are you going to play? You know, aren't you going to play? And there's, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a tough year. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, a lot of times he sits back there and gets treatment. I know he's going to talk to you guys tomorrow. I'm not an excuse kind of guy. No one takes this harder than I do. Nobody. And I've a guy, I'm a guy who, when I have coached, I've always been able to find some answers. And I have, I have not been able to find answers. And from my standpoint, that is very disappointing. Guys, that, that's, that's uh, Sixers coach Doug Collins talking – Specifically about Andrew Bynum, but also talking about the struggles his team has endured here recently. There, there was a lot of I and my in what he was saying. That's I heard frustration. Yes, I heard yeah. a lot of tension in his in his voice. That they're they're in a dangerous spot right now uh, when you talk about the losing and you know you you worry about Doug Collins not being able to keep that thing together. Do that? Does that sound like a coach who's got a Who's got a good grip on on what's happening with that franchise or that team specifically for the long term? Or are you you nervous about where they're headed? We're talking about the Sixers, right? Yeah. Um, look, I mean, I I was I was intrigued to see what the Sixers were going to look like with an, with an Andrew Bynum and and a big set, you know center presence. You need some blue blockers for that one, because yeah, I I just I don't know if if we see a Doug Collins around much longer. Yeah. Because I mean, he's done a great job, but his talents are being misused. Right. If they can't figure out what the personnel is going to be like, and if if Andrew is going to hold the franchise hostage with his health, then yeah, I'm sorry, life is too short. <laughs> you know, D- Doug Collins could go and coach. I'm sure another team that has a clear vision of where they're going personnel wise. Come back and, to TNT. And, or. Yeah, come back and hang out with us. Get, I don't want to get abu- accused of tampering or anything, but <laughs> <laughs> I love him on broadcast. You know. Yeah, I love him as a coach too, though. Yeah. You know, um, I just think he's not—he's got to be frustrated by it, as you hear it in his voice. Uh, and I just don't know if he sees a clearer picture going forward. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's hard to get a clear picture when when you know when the x-rays come back and they're they're kind of muddied you know I don't, <laughs> there's no clear picture there and when bynum like man I, there's direct shots at andrew bynum you know mm-hmm. and uh i don't know I, I i didn't like the move when they made it i thought man they they got a nice thing going with that young core that they had with the Gadala and Drew Holiday and Thaddeus Young and Spencer Halls and all these guys. I thought, man, this you could work with this. You know what I'm saying? You could you could do something with with that young group if you find the right piece, maybe in free agency or at the trade deadline. But for them to blow it up after that playoff they had last year, and you know, sending Gadala to Denver just so they could get their hands on Bynum, who you knew was going to be in a contract year, and even if he played well, it would be tainted by the fact that hey he's in a contract here he's got to perform to get his next big deal you know but he also he also had a very real history of health issues yeah so i mean i just i struggled with that when they made the deal and i thought boy if this doesn't work out you took this team that had a certain trajectory and now you're setting them back or you're knocking them off that path um and that's dangerous you guys know you one day you could look up oh this is my great example of how basically overnight what looks like it could be a long and glorious stretch of 50-win teams can turn into the lottery is what I look at Portland. You know, there was a time when they had Greg Oden, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Brandon Roy as their kind of three tentpole players, and you're thinking, man, they got three young monsters. They got a chance at this. And before you know it, Greg Oden goes down with the micro, you know, with the knees, and you get microfractures. Brandon Roy's knees go out. I mean, and Next thing you know, the Blazers are in the lottery. Now, granted, they're getting Damian Lillard, so right. life ain't all bad. But, I yeah. mean, you go from being this young, promising team to, you know, bam, 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 and here you are, and you're looking at them and going, well, they got to try and figure out a way to stay relevant as they rebuild again and try and, you know, become a playoff regular, which you got to take that first step before you take the next one, obviously. So, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel comfortable – with what they got going on right now in Philly. And, I, and that's a bad thing because I think they got some young players who are really talented and have a chance to have some really bright futures. And it's red hot. Beautiful play by Smith. Anthony's got it going early. Again, five for five. The ball don't lie. Oh, quick spin board from Anthony. Steve Novak with his fifth three-pointer. There's the exclamation point. Guys, we, we haven't spent a whole lot of time this season um, dissecting the New York Knicks, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, and that whole crazy dynamic up there in the Big Apple. But we're doing it today with our guest, Howard Beck of the New York Times. Bex, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great, guys. How about you? We're good. We're good. We're, we're putting up with Rick and his crazy computer here today. But uh, Yeah. <laughs> what? The the Knicks for a long time looked like the one team that was going to challenge the Miami Heat this season in the Eastern Conference, and they've kind of slowed down from that pace. Obviously, where where are they at right now post All Star break in terms of what their long term prospects are looking like? Uh, you know, it's a great question because this is a team that, as you point out, I mean, when they started out eighteen and five and were in first in the East for a while, beat Miami twice, everybody thought, oh, that's it, the Knicks have arrived, you know, and Miami's got a legit challenger, and the Knicks are heading to the Eastern Conference Finals. But they've basically been a 500 team for two solid months. That's much longer than the period in which they were a really good team. So uh, you have to wonder which one's 
the real Knicks. And, you know, a lot of things have gone into this. One of them is that, as we know, they made a really big offseason investment in older veterans. Jason mm-hmm. Kidd, Rasheed Wallace, Marcus Camby, Kurt Thomas, Pablo Prigioni. You know, their emphasis was on experience because that wins you playoff games. But those guys have to actually last until then. What's happened is <laughs> Kidd has fallen off dramatically. Uh, Camby's barely played. And Rasheed Wallace, we just found out today, is going for season-ending foot surgery that might get him back in the playoffs, depending on how long they stay in the playoffs. So, you know, that off-season plan, you know, it always came with some risk, and we're seeing the consequences of that strategy. You know, they their old guys turned out to be, a, I think, a lot more critical to their uh, prospects than they anticipated. So that's a lot of it. They also, you know, of course, Raymond Felton was out for a month. They really need a playmaking point guard to kind of, balance that offense so it doesn't just become all Carmelo all the time. And so Felton's absence was a bit of an issue. And, you know, some guys just had really hot starts and they fell off. You know, Kidd was shooting at a ridiculous rate. J.R. Smith was shooting, you know, a ridiculous rate in November. There was going to be some regression to the mean, and I think that's happened too. And, frankly, their defense is, I think, the biggest issue. They've been middle of the pack at best for the last couple of months and, and even worse in certain stretches defensively. And if they don't get that back, they're not going to be beating Miami or, or maybe anybody else in the playoffs. Howard, is is there a sense that they can get that back? That that you know, is is there a sense around the team that that, that this this 500 stretch is that who they are, or is that crazy stretch at the beginning of the season? Is, is that what they can be? Yeah, I mean they're probably somewhere in between. They yeah. probably you know, they got themselves such a nice cushion that they could kind of afford this. You know, they've still been in second for most of the last couple of months, despite playing 500 ball. Look, the Eastern Conference isn't that great. Miami is the only truly elite team in the East. And Indiana, the Knicks, the Nets, everybody else, they're just kind of, you know, they've all got their issues. And, you know, you can afford to be 500 for a while. But in terms of which team is the real Knicks team, I do think it's somewhere in between. I do think the defense will tighten up when the playoffs get closer or in the playoffs. They just can't squander too many more games in the meantime or let themselves slide too much farther because they're going to, you know, slide right into some bad playoff matchups potentially or slide out of home court advantage if they're not careful uh, they do need that that division uh, title if they can get it and the nets are right on their heels so mm-hmm. you know we'll see i still think they have the right personnel to play really great defense i just think that there's and this goes back to the age issue i think there's a certain center that look we can't go all out every night we got to yeah. make sure that this team is still intact for the playoffs. And so, you know, maybe they're doing that, that legendary will just flip the switch thing, which is always a dicey uh, proposition. Legendary as in legendary for New York, being able to switch <laughs> Let, the switch? Or? <laughs> not, not for them, actually, for, for your old Laker teams. I got a question. Uh, um, Amari comes <laughs> back. He seems to have taken that role off the bench, at least in stride uh, with the media. But do you think uh, we're back to a, a setting where where he and Carmelo just the two of their presence together on the on a team just doesn't doesn't mix because I feel like we're getting a different Carmelo the last month and a half and and then to add to that what are they doing with Shumpert I mean I know he you know he's in the starting lineup he's playing thirteen fourteen minutes is he just not a, not back fully health wise. Well, on, on Shepard first, yeah. I mean, look, he's coming back from ACL surgery, and so that was a long time to be off. I and mean, he's a guy who, as a rookie, what was great about him was obviously his, his defensive prowess and his, his lateral abilities. And, you know, the ACL, you know, 
surgery that's, that's taken away a lot of your, you know, explosiveness and lateral movement initially as he's trying to come back from it. He's still, I think, in recovery mode, and maybe people expect it too much, but he's got to get that quickness back to be effective because, he, you know, he's not a great ball handler. He's not a great shooter. Um, he's great in the open court. You know, he's great as a finisher, and, and he's a, a great perimeter defender when he's 100%, but I think he clearly is not. And then he becomes liability on offense because teams can just sink off him because he can't hit open jumpers, and that was never his strength. So uh, there's that. With regard to Amari, I mean, Amari's done a fantastic job of kind of refashioning himself um, as a you know a 30-minute-a-game, which is his cap now, his 30-minute-a-game role player off the bench who can anchor that second unit. And, you know, all, you know, all credit should go to him for being able to make that transition because this is now clearly Carmelo's team and has been moving that way for the last couple of years. So, you know, Amari's done a great job of, of adjusting and adapting, but, you know, you still have an issue where the top three paid, uh, highest paid players on this team, Carmelo, Amari, and Tyson, you still have issues functionally with the three of them playing together. And if that means that at the end of games you either force feed them, you know, minutes together, and, and you, you might suffer offensively defense, and defensively with those three out there, or you keep Amari on the bench, um, in which case you're not fully using or maximizing your $20 million a year power forwards. So, you know, it, it, it's a tough spot for the Knicks, uh, but that's just the way it's evolved, and, and that was, again, the risk they took when they acquired Carmelo to join Amari because those two never really made that much sense together. I get, Howard, I guess what I'm wondering is that you tell me up, in close, up close there, is Carmelo been different in the last month and a half? Because the start of the season, it was you know he was MVP leading candidate in terms of the way he was playing. His his he seemed to be less. Uh, he didn't press as much. The ball moved. Uh, he knew he was going to get thirty sh- twenty five thirty shots. He dropped forty points, and 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 they were winning. But is it something psychological for him when he looks down the line and sees? A potentially, you know, another big gun in Amari that just creates, you know, a different approach for him because I don't see the same relaxed Carmelo Anthony. No, Rick, I think you're absolutely right uh, that he has changed in the way he's playing. I don't think that's about Amari. I think it's about all kinds of things that are just going on around the team. One okay. is when Felton went out for that month, all of a sudden they didn't really have a great playmaker. I mean, Kid used to be that guy, but he's, you know, Jason Kidd is, is not really functioning as a point guard for this team for, for the most part. And he did during that stretch, but you know he, he can't break down a defense or get around guys the way that, that Felton can. Um, and so without a, without a, you know Felton on the court, I think Carmelo just started going back to old Carmelo, started taking okay. more on himself. And once he gets in that mode, once he gets in that habit, I think it's really hard for Carmelo to break out of it. I mean, that's who he's been for the vast majority of his career. And it's always easier in October and training camp and November in the first month of the season to come in and say, I'm a new guy. I'm going to pass more. I'm going to dominate the ball less. I'm going to play harder on defense on every possession. That's easy in October and November. That's a lot harder when you're trying to sustain it throughout a season. And Carmelo's habits, as we know, this has been a criticism of him throughout his career, that you know he wasn't that dedicated defensively, and he wasn't that great of a ball mover. He just didn't concentrate on it. So I think he just slipped into old bad habits, um, and we'll see if he, you know, kind of you know redevelops the better habits as they move forward here. Because, yeah, I don't think this team becomes an elite team unless he's more willing to be a playmaker and more willing to go all out on defense and sell out on defense every play. And you know, again, I think this team has just slipped into this mode of well, we got a big lead, you know, where we got a big cushion early on. 
And, you know, we'll just do what we got to do in the meantime and wait till the playoffs to turn everything else back on. Howard Beck of the New York Times joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Howard, one bit of uh, breaking news, obviously, about Rasheed Wallace needing foot surgery uh, on that broken bone out eight weeks. That Does that put him on the shelf, basically, for the rest of this season, playoffs included, or is there a slight chance that he gets back and plays uh, in the postseason? Uh, you know, eight weeks wipes out the regular season and possibly, you know, a lot of the first round. So then it's a question of, okay, well, you know, what kind of shape is he in after eight weeks on the shelf? I mean, we one thing if this were a broken hand, but it's a broken foot. So, yeah. you know, he's not going to be able to do a heck of a lot of cardio or keep himself in shape. I mean, he was in questionable shape when he came in anyway. <laughs> and that's not a knock on him. He'd been out for he's two years and he's been retired. <laughs> You're trying to say that but, he couldn't beat yeah. Rick in a 40-yard dash, Howard? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm putting my money on Rick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I mean, if, if Rashid could come back for the second round, if the Knicks are still in it, mm-hmm. great. But I mean, I think at this point they're probably writing him off. I mean, they won't say that, I'm sure. But at this point, you just got to just you know move on. You got to decide that you don't have him. You don't have the assets that he brought, and he did bring you know certain qualities that I don't think anybody else on this team could bring, or a package of qualities. You know, it's great to have a guy who can be a defensive anchor. And hit three pointers at the other end, stretch the defense, keep the lanes open for uh, for Carmelo, and uh, keep the pick and roll open underneath for Tyson because you you know you're you're pulling your man out there. I mean, they don't have another guy who can do what Rashid was doing, and right. I think he was a huge part of that hot start in November. So they've yeah. got to write it off at this point. You know, you can see now why they signed Kenyon Martin, made room for him last week, and signed him because they they knew they were going to need another big. They obviously knew that Rashid was you know was going to be going out. Yeah. As a person who's been on the Brooklyn Nets beat for about the first half of this season, I wanted to ask you about them before we let you go. And, and specifically, uh, what the hell is going on with Brooke Lopez right now? <laughs> they keep benching him in the fourth quarter of games, and it seems like there's a little bit of like confusion. I saw Carlissimo said that this is, this is on him for creating this situation. What, what's going on with the Nets right now? Yeah, they're you know they're a weird team in so many ways that we don't have enough time to get into all the weirdness of the uh, of the Brooklyn Nets. But um, Carlissimo benching, forgetting about, neglecting Brook Lopez for much of the last week is is just it's just really puzzling. And, and, and PJ, to his credit, said, "Yeah, you know what, I kind of blew it." But he, I don't really think he gave us a great explanation of, of of how or why it happened. Now he does tend to go with the hot hand of the hot group, and when Blatch had some good starts the fourth quarters. You know, he he just kind of rolled with Andre Blatt. Like, well, you know, he came out, scored some points, and got us back in the game. You know, you go with him for a while. And mm-hmm. I think what's happened sometimes is he's just kind of forgotten, you know, to go back to to Brooke Lopez. Uh, or in some cases, I think matchups had something to do with the two. Some of the teams they were playing had smaller lineups, and Blatt is obviously a little more mobile than Brooke Lopez, although I don't think that makes Blatt a good defender. He just happens to be a little more mobile. But, um it's just it's it's puzzling though. You know, Brooke Lopez has been the steadiest, most consistent guy they've had this season. Obviously, he's their lone All Star this season, and you know the, the guy can score in so many ways. He's such an anchor for their offense. There really is no excuse to have him missing entire fourth quarters of close games. Uh, you know, they absolutely need him out there, and especially for the last couple of games without Joe Johnson. So it looked like they rectified that last night, though. By the way, that, that you know Brooke did play in the fourth quarter in New Orleans in, uh, in that victory. So uh, maybe they've got that squared away. Howard Beck, New York Times. Listen, thanks for joining us, man. And from uh, one frying pan to another, from the Brooklyn Nets to the New York Knicks beat, tell, tell Mike Woodson to send us some T-shirts. 
I will do that. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bex. Howard Beck in the New York Times. Join us here on the Hang Time Podcast. That's, I'm curious about which of those teams, because they've been up and down all season, mm-hmm. um, is going to have the finishing kick needed to make some noise in the playoffs. I don't, you know. I can't imagine both of them making deep playoff runs, but you figure one of them has the tools and uh, will get on a roll maybe come postseason time. Rick, which one do you think makes the deepest playoff run between the Knicks and the Nets? I think they they both eliminate each other (laughs) in a a 2-3 matchup in the second round. Uh, I I really, and looking at it, I I was always concerned about the age of the Knicks, and I I thought as the season went along, that age – would uh, would present the issues it's presenting in the sense that the depth that they had is disappearing. Um, so I'm going to go with a – I think they equally both end up in the same place at the end of the playoffs, which is eliminated uh, uh, by, you know, by a team – I wouldn't say in the first round, probably in the second round. Mm-hmm. But but I, I think if they play each other, I think the, the Knicks in New York get by the Nets – so I guess I would say the, the Knicks will go further, mm-hmm. um, only because I think Mike Woodson will probably put those aging veterans on the shelf for the next month and a half yeah. <laughs> in hopes that they have some gas in the tank for at least a couple rounds in the playoffs. I mean, there's a chance they could. There's a good chance they could play in the first round. That'd be fantastic. Right. And I, I mean, think that's why that's why I said they'd both eliminate each other. <laughs> <laughs> what would happen if there was a playoff series and both teams lost? <laughs> I don't know. That, that's the dream matchup, is it not, Lane? You live in New York. I mean, don't yeah. don't Knicks and Nets fans want to you know, get like, each other get at each other right away? Earlier this season, like back in October, November, there was a lot of uh, excitement about both teams, really. And then the Knicks got hot and went on the run, and then Avery Johnson got fired. Um, and since then, it's kind of cooled off. I, it's not like it was. And now baseball season starting, so the Yankee talk starting up again. Um, but when they play each other, and, and you know, those matchups were so fun the first couple of months when they would play each other. Uh, but they don't play again the rest of the season. The, all those they've, they've already used all four of the games between the two teams. So that excitement's kind of, kind of gone. Um, I, I do think if they play – in the playoffs, it'll be a huge thing here in the city. But right now, I think fans, Knicks fans, started off so fired up about that team. And as Howard said, they're a 500 team the last two months. Uh, so that excitement has kind of gone out the window a little bit. And the Nets are 20 and 10 since Carlissimo took over. Um, you know, that that's no small feat. But they don't seem to get the same kind of attention the Knicks get yet. You know, it's still the New York Knickerbockers. And well, will they will they get it when they? Past the Knicks in the standings, and and because they're only a game and a half behind them. I know. I I don't know. Well, I don't know, Rick. Because I mean, think of it like Lakers Clippers, in a way. You know, I yeah. I, I think that's sort of the dynamic here. Is that uh, as good as as good as the one team can be? That they will still never be the other team. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure how you how you gauge these two teams either. I mean, there's been a, there hasn't been as much change for the Knicks. So they're, you know, their decline, I guess, is what you chalk up to just part of a long NBA season. But the Nets, I don't know what, I didn't know what to make of them when PJ took over. Like Lang said, they're 20 and 10 since, and I still don't know what to make of them, which is kind of makes me nervous if I'm a Nets fan, because you just don't know what you're getting come playoff time. Is Darren Williams going to be back to playing like he's used to? Is, is Brooke Lopez going to be healthy? How's Joe? 
You know, what about some of these other guys? Um, well, let's not forget. I mean, last year they were horrible. So yeah. to be thirty-four, yeah, yeah. to be thirty-four and twenty-four in that new arena, and and to be in you know a four, fourth or fifth seed by the end of the day, I mean, that's a that's a pretty improved uh, uh, season. You know, yeah, big, they um, paid for it, Rick. I mean, they yeah, no, they yeah, spent they, the money. They, you know, yeah, they pay for it. But, <laughs> but I think the question is is long term. You know, is this a one year thing? Right. Because uh, we still you still hear stuff about hey maybe maybe Dwight Howard next summer, and you still hear all this. You know. This isn't. I think fans realize it too. Like this is not where this team is headed four or five years from now. You know, this is a yeah. team that's built to win this year, and not even win a title probably this year. It's just a team that's built to get to the playoffs and and be competitive in the Eastern Conference. But uh, I, I think they they still know that they don't really have that guy, like that that true franchise guy that's going to define this franchise for the next decade or two. Yeah. Well, I, listen, this is a this brings leads me to a very interesting conversation we had uh Monday uh, in the meeting before the beat on NBA TV with uh, a fr- good friend of yours Lang and and a colleague of both of ours now, Vince Cellini. Um I was making comments Rick about the fact that hey, you know, they were trying to say, well, do you think this team has a chance to challenge the Heat? Or does that team have a chance to challenge the Heat? And I was like, I, I don't think any of these teams legitimately have a chance of beating the Heat in, 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 the, in the Eastern Conference playoffs. And they're, well, why don't we just go to Miami and, you know, just give the ch- championship to the Heat right now? And I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't want it to be that, I don't want to be that, uh, you know, matter of fact about it. But aren't we really in a in a holding pattern of, is there anybody capable of, Showing us that they got the chops to beat these guys, or, or can we go ahead and start making reservations for Miami for the you know Eastern Conference Finals and the Finals? This, I haven't seen anybody as well as the Pacers have played, you know, as well as the Knicks played early. None of them ever struck me as a team that was going to beat the Heat four times in two weeks in the playoffs, and that's just that's just what it looks like to me. I agree, I, and, I, and none of those teams have sustained it. Yeah, like we've seen flashes of greatness from all those teams, but. I mean, dude, they've got LeBron right now. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? What do you, what do you do with that guy right now? I'm going to get a T-shirt that says that, Rick. Dude, they got they LeBron got right now. <laughs> Send me one, too. Because this is the truth. At the, end, yeah. he, at the end of the day, man, he, he's, he's improved himself. He's improved his game. There's a confidence and a calmness about what they're doing. Uh, even when they – seemed to be going through the motions with a little bit of a championship hangover. Right. They were still winning. They're now awake. I would say they're awake. They're not, you know, they're not bullish right now, but with a 12, you know, 12 win streak here, it looks bullish, but I still think they get better. I'm not seeing, you know, the 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 pieces around the two the two uh, the three studs. I don't see yeah. the pieces around them mm-hmm. as having reached their full potential. Right. I think, you know, I think you're going to see better play from those guys. Yeah. And so you know, at the end of the day, Indiana's consistently shown us that they're probably the threat to challenge them in the Eastern Conference Championship, just based on the fact that they're now scoring the basketball after not being able to throw it in the ocean from anywhere <laughs> in the first thirty games. Right. You knew that. You know they're going to defend. And at the end of the day, Roy Hibbert and David West and and Danny Granger, if he brings that that you know that big physique in there too. Are going to be the you know going to be the determining factors of whether or not they can control the paint, and 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 last season in that playoff matchup, they gave them a scare. But can they sustain it beyond one or two games of oh we're here to disrupt you know to upset you? 
you know, it's going to see if the Indiana Pacers have grown up at all. Rick, if when I mean you've been on a, ch- a t- championship team, and you know the next year you come back, you're playing, you know, you, you have a gauge for what you have coming back. Are you looking out the window at the rest of the conference or the rest of the league and trying to figure out where they stack up in relation to you, or do you spend so much time? focused only on yourselves as defending champs that you don't really pay attention to the field. I mean, is how does that work when you're in LeBron and D Wade shoes, when you're coming off championship season and you know, you're playing at a level that people are going to have to match, not you chasing right. the crowd, but the crowd chasing you. Yeah. They got to, they got to live up to your level and, and, be, and be better yeah. because when the pressure, you know, amps up and the lights are brighter and, and every possession is intense, people's nerves come to play. If, especially if you haven't been to the Eastern conference championships, yet so you know Miami is taking care of themselves right now and that's why they look uninterested at times (laughs) because they literally are about can we be healthy at the right point in the season let's not expand the energy in the wrong place let's be good let's get better let's respect our opponents but there's no fear I don't see them with any uh any fear in regards to anyone in the Eastern Conference I think they're they're attentive to them, so when they butt up to a Chicago or an Indiana, you, you, they definitely want to leave the you know the mark of this is not going to be a cakewalk if you see us. Right. Uh, but yeah, I just think they're about staying healthy, working on what they do best, improving amongst some of the new additions, Anderson, uh, get, you know Ray Allen, uh, getting these guys in sync with what they do. Uh, and then when I look at them. They just look like they're in great shape, and it's still in, it's only March first, but yeah. they look like they're in playoff shape. So I know they're probably working them to death in that sense yeah. behind the scenes. I don't know, Lang. Lang, let's look. Let's just go ahead and check into the hotel in Miami, but you know, two months early, and uh, and just get wait. A, get a better rate. Yeah, let's just wait. <laughs> See if we can convince the bosses to let us go down there and just wait. You can go back for sizzle again this year. What the? <laughs> One, let me ask you this. Okay, what did I miss? You don't you don't want to miss Sizzle, Rick. The, we don't want to get in trouble with the powers that be. Let's just let's I put it this way. way. I, wait, wait. I, I got a totally different thing I'm thinking of here, though. Um, <laughs> I hope Kevin, not. Kevin Durant, uh, as amazing as he has played this season, as great as he has been, uh, the story of this year is LeBron, right? Like sure. I, I was talking about this at All Star with someone who who came mm-hmm. up and they said, "Would you vote?" for Durant for MVP and I said no like pretty much immediately because because I, I mean I, I don't really see how anyone's going to beat LeBron this year as MVP and I wonder if if Kevin Durant in some way is being overlooked this season because of the season LeBron's having and is it a, in a way like Drexler and Dominique and those guys were during the Jordan era um, that we we never really fully recognized their greatness because they were having to go against MJ. That's their uh, mom and dad fault. They shouldn't have had to. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Because stay tuned for the next four years. Yeah. You know, it's good. I mean, all due respect, I love Kevin Durant and and and, and they don't and I don't I don't know, has anyone ever tied for MVP uh in in the course of a season? I don't oh, think so, no. right? Maybe rookie of the year, but Yeah, they shared J Kidd and uh, Grant Hill shared a rookie of the year, but we haven't right. had a tie for the MVP. Back. But as great as, they, as great as he's been or as great as he's going to be, yeah. LeBron would literally have to miss yeah. more than 20 games in a season because even with 62 games, he could seal up an MVP. That's how great he is. I, and yeah. and, and I'm, I'm not so sure he's not going to get better. 
which yeah. is crazy to say. Well, I would argue too that <clears throat> I don't know that Clyde Drexler and Neek were ever were as level. close to that level sure. of Jordan sure. as Durant is to LeBron, which I know it's, it's uh, apple and oranges uh, based on the don't. era. But I don't know that I don't know that we ever thought Dominique was the second best player in the league. I agree. I, no, no, I agree. Or I, Drexler, just, you know what I mean? I, I think I, I, I think I think Kevin Durant has as much a lead on the rest of the field as LeBron LeBron has on on him. him, Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, he's the only person we can compare to LeBron and and put in a conversation of someone that can, you know, upstage him for uh, an MVP award. But if you really look at it, he's a great player, but LeBron still is like two inches taller. Yeah. I would, I would argue too, if we're going to talk about who's having the, the best and most MVP like season, we got to put Tony Parker in the conversation. Yeah. You know, um, I learned from our French brothers and sisters a few weeks ago that you having that MVP conversation without Tony Parker up high will get you in trouble. Um, because I got flooded with emails, you know, from people really? that want to know why Tony Parker wasn't higher on the Kia uh, MVP ladder that we do on NBA.com every Friday. You know, they were very upset. And, you know, when you go back and look at his season – it's hard to to argue with him. You know, Tony Parker has played magnificently for the best team in the league on paper. Yeah. Yep. You know, from a record standpoint. So I notice I notice you say on paper. Because I think there's a difference between having the best record in the league and being the best team in the league. And if you don't if for anybody that doesn't understand what I'm talking about, ask LeBron all those years in Cleveland or ask the Bulls, you know, when they have they finish the regular season with the best record and you get to the playoffs and you're clear Notch below or two, notch or two below, what turns out to be the best team in the league. Um, yeah, and that's just that's just a fact of life. You know, the the Heat may may not have the best record during this big three era because that you know the Spurs are going to be steamrolling people, or somebody else might roll to the best record in the league. But come playoff time, I think we could all agree nobody's going to. If you have to pick out of a hat which teams you think goes into the playoffs as the favorite. Nobody's going to pick the Spurs over the Heat. No matter what the Spurs record is, you know, in, right. in, in mid-April, it's going to be the, you're going to pick the defending champs and, and the team with the best player in the league rocking and rolling into the playoffs. So I'm, I'm I'm working on a story for today for GQ.com about the Spurs. Just I've been watching them the last two weeks and thinking sort of along the lines of what you're saying, Seku, of, of uh, as great as they are. Uh, they haven't won a title in five years. I know. Five seasons. I know. Um, you know, in this season, they, they haven't lost more than two games in a row. They, uh, <laughs> they've they won 70% of their games in those last five seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the stats are so amazing, but but are they good enough? And I, and I, I don't think they are. I, uh, I, I learned firsthand, Rick, in yeah. Lang one year, that just having the best record during the regular season guarantees you nothing no, the does. day after the regular season's over. Indiana was 61. They had, they had 61 wins one year. Was 60, yeah, 61 wins in the East. In, I mean, in the league, they had the best record in the league. Everybody was convinced they were, you know, the best team in the East at the time. Even even with the – this is before the Pistons went on that run, you know, six straight trips to the Eastern Conference, you know, finals, whatever. They looked, they had all the pieces. You look at them and go, man, this team's got everything you need. They got a chance to, you know, this, that, the other. But they had a late season game after the Rasheed Wallace trade line, after Rasheed got traded from Atlanta to Detroit that year. 
And it was the year the Pistons ended up winning it all. Do we really have to talk about this year? <laughs> I wasn't going to bring your boys up, Rick. I was going to leave that part out. I wasn't going to get all of that part. That's that's really nice of you. (laughs) I still feel it over here. (laughs) But you could tell in that late – it was like a last two weeks of the regular season they had – they only played one time with Rasheed in the mix for Detroit. And that one player, Lang and Rick, totally changed the dynamic of how those two teams matched up. You know what I mean? So I went into the playoffs thinking to myself, man, I know they've had this magical season, best record in the league. But, boy, if they play Detroit, you know, in the playoffs, how are they going to fix this matchup? And, of course, they did. They got to the conference finals and could not get past them. Um, well, who, do you, who do you think is the, the that team this year? Do you think there was a move that, that made someone uh, better in that respect? Because San Antonio didn't do anything. Yeah, no, nobody did anything big t- at the trade deadline. Or What? Milwaukee. I'm sorry, J.J. Redick is not the final piece to the puzzle. No, but um, that's a lot better, though. Yeah, but, I mean, I just didn't see anybody make a championship move at the at the deadline. Um, and, I, you know, I'm looking at the Spurs, and somebody was asking me this the other day. Like, well, why don't you think the Spurs can beat Oklahoma City? And I was like, because they, they're going to have the same issue they had in the playoffs last year. You know, when the, when the, when Oklahoma City's two best players get cranked up, who from San Antonio is going to be able to match him? Well, yeah, I think at the end of the day, when you as great as Tony Parker is, and actually I'm becoming a, a, a huge fan of his. Yeah. Um, I, I think Russell West, Westbrook. I would call him North, South, East Westbrook. <laughs> he, he he will he will. I think he's in the day. He's going to bully Tony Parker. Yeah. Because yeah. physically, he's he's a six four. You know physical presence and it puts I think it puts pressure on Tony to have to keep up with him at the same time too I think he can defensively you know dial in on on Tony and and has youthful enough energy and legs to you know to really alleviate some of that dynamic penetration to the front of the rim that Tony is accustomed to doing for you know 82 games in the regular season yeah it's time for bragging rights as the guys put their rep on the line Boys, I'm, I'm gonna have to go. In, I'm gonna have to go through the glass here and put pause on our uh, our man at the controls back here. He keeps giving me that Peyton Manning cross eye like he's gonna do something to me. <laughs> Bragging rights are up. The man is still in first place, twenty-eight and twenty-one. Two and two and one last week. Where did I go wrong last week? I thought I was undefeated. Uh, I don't know. Unbelievable. Rick is twenty-seven and twenty-two with a two and one week for you and Lang. You better keep the goatee, brother. Uh, you're back under fire. You like the Lakers. You're still, still in a holding pattern. Twenty-four and twenty-five after a one and two week. Uh, you know, can we call this now? Shouldn't, I'm still gonna make the playoffs. Shouldn't we? Clearly. Shouldn't we just call this? I mean, they, they have not been able to catch me. Call it. Okay. Just give me the belt now. Can we go ahead and give me the belt, Greg? Absolutely. Hey, not. I'm gonna edge you out. <laughs> I'm gonna edge you out of the finish line by a chin. <laughs> You're going you to nip me at the tape. All right, well, let's – what do we now got that, this week? Well, now that Rick got that faux hawk, he's more aerodynamic, too. <laughs> That's right. Don't play with me. That's fantastic. My daughter asked me, she was like, what is that you, you have, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, she said to me this morning, I dropped her to school, she says, she says, you know your hair is still gray even though you have a faux <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. The 40-year-old faux hawk. That's right. I love just, it. Just for men. 
They're going to want to do a commercial at some point. <laughs> <laughs> they already got Clyde and Keith Hernandez. You could be just, next. Just for sizzle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We're going to be in so much trouble. Let's go, Greg. Get, the, get right. this stuff out before we Here get we fired. First, first game of the week, and we'll let Lang go first because I'm expecting oh, a great. Big, Thanks. big week out of, out of the uh, New Yorker up there. <laughs> Golden State at Boston. Which day of the week is this? Oh, you want to fight. There you go. It'll be Friday night. You want to fight Golden State? Come on and fight the Celtics. Versus Warriors lead the season Boston. series 1-0. I'm going to take uh-huh. the Warriors. Uh. You think the Warriors go in there and me? put it on them, huh? Is it's on, it on you. It's on, Rick. it's on you, Rick. Oh, I'm going Boston. I'm going to go. You know what? It's time to live on the wild side. I'm going to go with the Warriors. That's it. When Aiden right Bradley there. put that D on, when Aiden, them two guards put that D on them boys in the backcourt. That's all right. When David Lee puts that shoulder lean on KG, it's a wrap. <laughs> Boy, look here. Shoulder lean. I'll tell you this much. KG ain't going to be shoulder bumping. <laughs> KG ain't going to do no shoulder bumping and push, pushing, pushing people's chest. Put that shoulder lean on you. All right. Second game. Uh, let's, let, uh, let's let Rick do this one. It'll be Sunday afternoon, Miami at the Knickerbockers. Ooh. Miami. Wow, didn't even have to think Lang, about you better it. be at that game just in case, you know, history yeah. is made. Um, I'm going Miami also. Ye of little faith. Did you guys not see Woody's T-shirt? Did you not see the coach T-shirt, people? Did you not listen to Howard Beck? Oh, that's right. I'm going to go with Miami, too. That's right. <laughs> give, me, give me the heat. Give All me the right, heat. And third game, third and final game, will be OKC at the Clippers. Oh, Seku goes game? first. Is that a Sunday night game? Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon. Woo. You know what? I'm going with the Clips. I think they got everything back under control, and I'm going with the Clippers. Rang? Oh, I'll go. I'll, I'm going to take Oklahoma City. I'm taking OKC as well. I picked three road teams this week. Listen, that's just that's just the backbreaker right there. The I'm not buying. I'm not buying, I'm not buying uh, Chauncey Billups slowing Russell Westbrook down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with the Clippers' depth. Derek Fisher, get ready to get lit up for 30 by Jay Crawl. <laughs> Congratulations, by the way, to Jamal Crawford and his uh, yes. wife on uh, the birth of their baby daughter. I believe her name is London. London. That's nice. Oh, I like that. Good for Jay Crawl, man. That's for Jay Crossover. But shout out to Howard Beck for joining us this week on the Hang Time Podcast. We will be back next week. Who knows what craziness we will talk about on the show, but we appreciate you joining us, and we will see you next time. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store, and be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And as always, say Kuna Matata. 